Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And I'm going to invite you to please turn or tap your way to Matthew chapter 10 uh, as we begin an unorthodox morning at Hope Church. If you don't have a Bible, please don't panic. We're going to have those words on the screen for you. Uh, And it is an unorthodox moment for Hope Church. Uh, You're at home watching on YouTube rather than here at Saltmine enjoying donuts and friends because COVID-19 has changed our situation pretty radically over the last week. And it looks like changes are going to continue, maybe even uh, accelerate. And at Hope, I always begin the sermons by introducing myself and inviting people to turn or tap their way to a specific part of Scripture. Tell them not to panic because we'll have words on the screen. Um, And as I sat down late in the week to change what I was going to do into what I need to do for this weekend, it gave me a great deal of encouragement to know that I I start this sermon the same way that I start every other one, telling you to open your Bible and not panic. There's a considerable amount of danger that's uh, around us to confront, and we got a situation that's going to have a massive impact on our uh, schedules, on our retirement accounts, uh, certainly, possibly even on our health. And the store shelves around you are empty, and your heart begins to fill with questions that you don't have good answers to about yourself and your family in the weeks that come. As your pastors, we feel the weight of giving you a response. And as your teaching pastor, uh, it feels like the kind of moment that needs some sort of Churchill-like word to stir you to a great deal of emotional fervor, uh, to hide some sort of fire in you so that you don't give up or give in and push forward and keep going. Uh, And I hope you can feel my inadequacy as I sit to try to do that (laughs) to a camera uh, in a room. Uh, But of course, that's not how this works. That's not how Christianity works. I'm not the leader. I'm not Churchill. We already have a leader. And we have his words. He's spoken those words. And those words, they drop down. They, they do so much more than fire because they become stones that drop down into your heart and steady it. They create a ballast. They become a foundation that gives you a rock-solid ability to survive when the storm comes. So Matthew 7, so this is before the passage we're going to be focusing on, but Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and it beat on that house, but the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And what's the rock? It's a metaphor helping us to see that when we have his words and we put his words all the way down so that they become the foundation stone for our life, we survive. We survive the storm. And so his words, I'm going to just say it again, open your Bibles and don't panic. (laughs) Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. This is the first kind of passage of of a big block of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Since the Sermon on the Mount, you have a couple of chapters of things happening, and then in chapter 10, we get the first big passage of teaching. And he says something in this passage that's kind of encouraging. It's the kind of thing that you go to 
in a moment like this. If you'll scan your way down to Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and following, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now you read that, and again, it sounds very encouraging. And, and Jesus needed to encourage his guys. So what was happening was as he's teaching and he's called together these apostles and he's doing big ministry out in the world and connecting the things that God has told him to say out into the community. And there's miracles happening and there's people getting changed. And he moves into a new stage of ministry where he takes his apostles and he actually sends them out to go two by two and preach the gospel out into all these different communities. And of course, in that moment, he's got to encourage them. He's got to get them excited. He's got to tell them what's coming. And he does. He gives them some logistical info. There's stuff he tells them to do and not do that may seem a little bit odd. But then he gets about the stuff that's going to come as they go starts to let him in on the hard realities of the world. He says things like, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And yet, he says, don't have any fear of them. For nothing is covered that's not going to be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Again, very encouraging. He's saying, don't, don't worry. Don't have fear. Let's keep going. Let's keep pushing. And then the encouragement gets even more intense, but in a, uh, a strange way, a way that maybe we don't want to hear. But I've learned over the years of reading scripture that when things get weird or when it takes a turn that you're not expecting, you dig in right there. If it only says what you expect, it's not telling you anything new. Every now and again, though, it'll take this turn. And when it does, that's where you need to dig in. Look what it says. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I don't know if you're reading along uh, and thinking about what we're talking about. And he's talking about how little sparrows fly around and none of them fall without him watching. And you're like, ooh, yes, Amen. And he's got all the hairs on your head counted, and you go, oh, yes, he knows me, he cares, he loves me. And then Jesus says, and hey, don't fear them anyway, because they can only kill you once. Dot, 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 everybody looks up, and he says, fear God, he can kill you twice. <laughs> overwhelming amount of intensity, overwhelming amount of uh, maybe not encouragement. We were having a moment of prayer a couple of days ago with several of the leaders of Hope Church, and one of my brothers stood up, and he was uh, praying for us, and he was praying against fear, and it just sort of naturally came out as he was saying the things that he was praying for. Lord, teach us not to fear, because I mean, we don't have any reason to fear the things of this world. We, we should fear you. And then I think that just sort of triggered this verse in his head, because then he said, Lord, we should... We shouldn't fear those who can kill the body. We should fear those who can kill the body and the soul. And I'm sitting there as a pastor in this room as we're all praying, and there's a part of me that's going, pull back, pull back. <laughs> don't, don't pray that right now. Like, we're trying to decrease fear. We're not trying to increase fear. Um, but, of course, he's right. Of course, he's not right, but Jesus is right. 
doesn't seem like the kind of place that we want to focus in when we're thinking about all this different stuff and all these logistical issues. But you should. You should dig in here. Because while the volume of voices around us get louder and louder and panicky tones about COVID-19 get higher and faster, there is a voice that can speak louder. There is something that's supposed to rise above that fear and catch your attention. It's a voice that can't be shouted down because fear comes at us in a thousand ways, but it really only has one stinger, and that's death. You can be afraid of losing your money. You can be afraid of what happens to your kids. You can be afraid of not having food or not having toilet paper or all these different things that you can be scared of in this moment or scared of more broadly. But if you boil it down to what you're really scared about, you are scared about death or a form of death. But Jesus goes deeper and he says, beyond all of those things that you fear is death. And I'm going to tell you that there's something deeper that you should fear, that that's not really what you should be focused on. He helps us to remember that death is something. It is specifically what the Bible calls a punishment handed out by God in the beginning of the scriptures. God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat. That one tree, eat all the other trees, but don't eat this one tree. Because if you eat this one tree, you will surely die. Now, every parent understands that sentence construction. Don't do this or this. Punishment. And when Adam and Eve broke that first law, when we have broken every law since then, we receive that punishment. So, biblically, your fear in death needs to go further. Your fear of death isn't just a fear of some sort of natural phenomena that seems to be a downer. Your fear of death needs to be the fear of the punishment coming from God, the meaning of that death. Much of our fear currently shows how much we've forgotten that. I I had a weird moment when I found out that of the cases that at the time we had in Utah of COVID, two of them were NBA players. And like good NBA players... All NBA players are good at basketball, but they're not like good NBA players. But Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are good NBA players. I don't know why that startled me so much. Of course, they're susceptible like everybody else. Did it weird you out when you found out that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson had COVID? It's Tom Hanks. It's Woody. Of course, he can't have COVID. It's for the rest of us dirty people. It's Mr. Rogers. But no... Their fame, their strength, their wealth didn't protect them. And why should it? Death is not a respecter of persons, and we know that deep down, but sometimes it takes something like this for us to remember that. We sort of shade over. We get this sort of callous on top of that truth, and we sort of lose the focus of what we're really talking about. But we have to understand it because the Bible needs us to understand it because if we can understand it, then we can Remove it. And this is what he's talking about specifically when he talks about death. He's saying that death comes from your rebellion. After you die will come a judgment. And that judgment between you and God is going to be about whether or not you have rebelled, meaning broken any of his laws. Can I tell you? If you're not very familiar with scripture, you have broken his laws. 
If you're alive right now, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken those laws. We all come to that judgment. And in that judgment moment, he's just going to ask you that question if you've broken his laws. He's going to open up the book. And he's going to start to show you the stuff that you've done. And if that happens, then you will go from his presence into your rebellion forever. That's the judgment. Unless God does something. There's a point where you're thinking when you hear that, okay, well, let me fix that then. You can't. The thing that you could do, you did. You broke God's law. Now, he has to do something. And this is the whole point of the teaching that Jesus is sending all of these guys out to proclaim throughout all these little towns in Jerusalem. God did not just condemn us for our sin to death, but he endured death for our sin. Now, at this point in the, in the gospel story, in Matthew 10, it's clear that the apostles didn't understand this. But Jesus did, and he talked about it regularly. He was very clear that what he had come to do was not merely just to preach a message, but to in, embody that message. By taking the sin that you and I have done and putting it on himself, receiving the punishment for that sin, and then making a way through death for us. Rachel and I are praying this morning, we're thinking about What did Jesus pray from the cross? As he's going through this specifically, what was he saying? He said a couple of different things, but one of them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Have you asked for that forgiveness? He prayed it on the cross. He's standing before God now. And if you will receive the salvation that he gives, that's the whole point of the gospel, is that God saves sinners through Jesus. If you will receive that gospel, then when the judgment comes, you enter into all of the different joy of the Father. You come in forgiven. You come in acquitted, declared innocent, and accepted. Accepted into his home, accepted into his family, accepted into his reward, accepted into his feast forever. That is specifically the good news of the gospel. And so, by going through the bad news, we can get to the good news. And realizing that this bad news is worse than any other news out there, you know that you have a good news that gets bigger than anything else out there. It fills you up with a wholeness that goes so much further than anything else out there. Then when you read verses 29 to 31, it means so much more. Because it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. When you read that, there's a part of you that can go, But really, though? I know I think I'm of much more value than the sparrows, but when I look at the world, it doesn't seem that way because the sparrows and the people all seem to die indiscriminately. Nature is red and tooth and claw, and here I sit under that claw. Plastic surfaces with COVID infections for three days and God knows what else. Does he really care? 
I know it says I'm of more value than many sparrows, and I can do more than sparrows can, but to him am I more valuable than many sparrows. Well, do you know how we know? Verses like this depend on the other things that Jesus has done for us. And when he went to the cross for us, it settled the question. We talk about it at Hope Church, fully known, fully loved. And what we're saying with that is we're trying to give you two little bites to kind of get a hold of, two little ruts to put your brain into, to run along in understanding the gospel. I am fully known. He knew exactly what my sin deserved. And yet, known fully. I am fully loved. Fully loved. That's what heaven is. The most blissful marriage is when this person knows me all the way down. I don't have any more secrets. We've had too many decades for me to have more secrets. She knows it all. And even still, she loves me. That's heaven. That's heaven. And that's what the cross is preaching to us. The cross is saying that God knew you all the way down. He knew exactly what your sin deserved. He knew exactly what you and I have done against God. He knew. And yet, he was willing to do it. Why? Because of his love. Because of his love for you. And if that's true, then these verses can become true. And if they really are true, then they start to explode in your mind with all kinds of meaning. It says that God knows exactly what's going on with you. He watched you at Smith's yesterday, trying to figure out if these like weird foreign grains could be used to make rice or not, because they're the only ones left. He watched you calculating what other things could be used for toilet paper than toilet paper. He knew. And he keeps up with the very hairs on your head. (laughs) We're doing like everybody else. We're trying to sanitize every surface in our house, clean everything. And in the process of that, our vacuum broke. And so last night late, I was sitting up with a, a knife trying to saw apart a clump of hair in our vacuum cleaner the size of a softball. It was gigantic. I have no idea how our vacuum survived as long as it did. I pulled it out after an extensive amount of effort. I pulled it out. And, of course, it's disgusting, right? And I show Rachel, my wife, and it's not all hers. We've got three little girls, but it's mostly probably hers. And it was disgusting. And I love her so much. But it's never occurred to me to try to get to that level of trivia about her. It's never occurred to me. Much less to tally, to know that, that number, that, that level of detail of trivia about her, to know it and then to care so much about her that I'm going to update it. Can you imagine the love that's being expressed here? He knows you. He sees you. He wants you so much that he would die for you, taking the stinger out of death. Ah, I, got, I, I, I just go back to it because I still feel it. I was so anxious about using this verse about hell and dying twice to try and encourage you. But you have to understand, if you can see hell, then you can see heaven. And here's what I mean by that. If you can see what God's going to do because of our sin, then you can understand the love that he expressed by taking that punishment on himself and his son. 
And that's the kind of love that we enjoy. So, is that the kind of love that you enjoy? And I'm not just talking to people that are not considered, don't consider themselves to be Christians. I'm talking about people that consider themselves to be Christians too. You know that it is so possible, even likely, that you will daily take apart your love for God or your understanding of His love for you, find little things that don't allow you to have control over yourself or whatever, and you'll kind of shunt it off to the side and accept something else as your satisfaction or your security. Something else to enjoy and say, I'm happy about today because of this wonderful meal, this fun interaction, this fill in the blank. If you do that, then, yeah, I can understand why you're feeling a lot of fear right now. I get it. Because coronavirus is probably going to mess those things up. If your hope rests on grocery store supply chains or the might of the American government, then your hope is resting on something with cracks that shifts. I'm not saying I can do it better than anybody else. I'm not putting myself anywhere near this, but I am comparing that as a foundation of hope to our Father. If you will shift from a foundation of sand to a foundation of stone, then... You're free. There's an old song and old hymns. I don't know if anybody likes them. There's like old, old hymns that are great. And then there's like sort of old hymns that are okay. And a lot of those are written by the Gaithers. And I've lived a long time and I thought I was getting away from them, but they're still in my head. I can't get away. (laughs) And I'm writing this. And as I'm writing this, I'm thinking, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, oh, 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 he holds the future then life is worth the living just because he lives. And that's what we're saying. If this truth becomes the truth that you hold, that goes all the way down for you, then yeah, all fear is gone. Now, if that's true, then we're going to have to start living like it. This is where the rubber meets the road, because if you say that you believe it, and remember this Matthew 10 passage, Jesus is not just telling this to the disciples so they can go home that night and sleep and think, man... That really was great. He's telling them this stuff because he's about to send them out to go and to preach his gospel and to people who are going to, he promised, hate him more than they hate Jesus. This is going to hurt, and yet the encouragement that he's given us, the strong, um, impenetrable, unshakable foundation that he's put us on is for a purpose. Because there's things now that you're going to be called on to do. And they're going to be hard things. They're going to be things that require this level of fearlessness and hope. If you believe this, if you know him like you say you know him, then it's time to live like it. And there's a couple of things that I'd like for you to do. One of the implications is that you're going to pray. Are you praying? Are you praying regularly? YouTube people, when David and Josh were praying, did you pray? Did you check messages? 
doesn't matter if you tell me. God knows. Do you pray a lot? If I asked you about your fear level, would there also be a a lower amount of prayer in your life? I think those things are connected. If God is the reason that you have hope in this world, then when things like this happen, prayer is going to be your go-to. And as a church, prayer is going to be our go-to. It's the first thing on this list of things we need to do. And it pretty much is the list. Are you or will you spend time begging the Father to do what only He can do for our culture? We really do believe that God has the greatest power over this crisis and that prayer for his intervention is the most effective precaution, prevention, and power that we have. If you really believe that, have you ever fasted? Now might be a great time to start. (laughs) Do it willingly before you do it unwillingly. But to go before the Father and just say, what I am asking you for is of more importance than my meal. To say before the Father that what I'm asking you for and the the grace that I get by reading your word and the grace that I get by doing what you've given me to do are like bread to me. Jesus said to the devil when he told him to turn the stones to bread that the word of God was the bread. When he was with his disciples and he sent them away to go get lunch and then he talks to the Samaritan woman in John 4 and then they come back and they find him. Oh my gosh, he's been talking to this Samaritan woman. Then they start trying to serve lunch, and he says, it's okay. I've got food that you know not of. And what's he talking about? He's not talking about a hidden sandwich. He's talking about doing the will of him who sent him. As you pray, you'll find yourself starting to become full, even as you fast. Let me just ask you to do that. Pray, give. This is a time where scarcity is one of the great fears. There's a gigantic vulnerable community that are enduring all kinds of different fear about specifically the coronavirus, yes. But all of us, whether you're in that most vulnerable section or not, feel the fear of the possible amount of stuff that you won't have. You start to realize just how miraculous it is that at any given moment you can hop in your car and have almost unlimited options of food and delicacies. And now, maybe, that's going to get a little harder. What you're called to as a Christian is not merely to sit on your stack, however big or small, and not feel fear. You are actually called to go out and to serve others. Why? Because you know that if push comes to shove and death comes for you, you're good. You can say like the Apostle Paul, to die is gain. I heard one pastor talking about how he has these fantasies of martyrdom where he's got some guy with a gun to his head telling him to take away his Christianity or lose his Christianity, and he looks in the guy's face and goes, make my day. (laughs) Now, if you know that original scene, it's kind of a weird scene, but what he's saying is, nothing would make me happier and to go and be with my father. We don't have a death wish, but we don't have a death fear. So you say, I don't have a square to spare. You do. You do. 
You start to think about, because you're praying, it gives you a, a heart that's starting to feel for other people because you're bringing before God all these other requests that you're hearing. And so your heart's getting softer and you're starting to think about the kids whose only real stable meal was a school meal. The way that you're going to fight that is by remembering. The only way for us to see our fear and anxiety drop is to put a new set of facts before our mind. When we talk about in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, how we're going to stir one another up to love and good works, how do you stir people up? Do you do it with a whip? Do you do it with shame? Or do you do it by remembering and then reminding them of the great things we've been talking about today? So, good segue, we're also not going to give up meeting together. We're not. We're going to figure it out. We're going to do whatever it takes. We live in an age where it's not that difficult to get you to interact with us via media. But it's not just the Sunday morning, which I hope you'll continue to do. Subscribe so you make it a little bit easier for yourself. I think there's a bell you can click on YouTube that'll let you know when we do things. But further, use your phone, use your Zoom, use your FaceTime, use all the other cool things that I don't know about to communicate with other people in order to continue to stir them up to love and good works. You know there are people that God is going to help you remember that you can go and you can serve. And I want you to be ready to spend the extra effort. Not just curating a perfect Netflix queue, but reaching out, still being together even while we're apart, to lead while no one is looking. Now, I really wish that I had some perfect like Churchill ending that would sum all this up and button it all up and everybody would be excited and we would become like those uh, stereotypic sort of World War II age Brits who sit there stirring a little milk in their tea while bombs are falling all around them and they don't even care. But you've got something so much better than a speech. <laughs> you've got him. You've got him. And he's got you and he loves you. It says in Lamentations 3.33 in the ESV, For he does not afflict, willingly afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. I thought that was a little bit clunky, and so there's another translation that says it this way. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. And then you go back two verses. It says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of of his steadfast love. Love. Love that you have seen and that you know. Now, love that you need to remember and you need to show to a world that needs the church to be his church in this very difficult time. Let's pray right now. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I ask for your grace on all those that are watching, all those that are thinking about and praying about and thinking, how can we be your people, your light, your salt that preserves through these painful, difficult times. Lord, would your gospel impact us deeply, helping us to remember not just the truth of your gospel, but the implications of your gospel. If we say we believe it, Father, let us go prove that we believe it. We're not going to do anything that's going to earn your love, but having your love and knowing your love, Father, make us passionate about getting out and doing something big. This does not have to be a time where we look back and remember only pain, but we can also remember big things that you accomplished through your people. 
And I pray that we would, Lord, for your glory and our good. In your holy name we pray. Amen.